0: Welcome to Harrison Church. Thank you for joining us. Today is week two of our revival style worship services. Next week, July 16th, we will have our final revival combined service held at 10 a.m. under the tent on the lawn. We're excited to see you there. Enjoy this week's message from Pastor Shane Page. man, let's get started in the the word. I've enjoyed this as well. And, you know, what a privilege it is for me to be your pastor and and to be at this church and how so many of you have blessed me. I've got a testimony, but I'll I'll save that maybe for later. But, you know, last week, you know, pastor referred to that. You may remember the story where a man came to Jesus and he was was stricken by all of these, these unclean spirits. And right before Jesus healed the man, you remember what he said to him? He said, what is your name? And then the man named his demons and then Right after the service, as the, right before the service ended, as a response, you and I, we had a chance to kind of name our demons, you know, the things that are in our lives that almost make us feel like we're out of control. And, and what I'm going to read from uh, to us today is from the Gospel of John, it's going to be in chapter 5. And what's interesting, it's a healing story. But whereas the man last week felt as though he was out of control, that there were forces, compulsions within him that he was trying to get rid of, he just could not do it on his own. The healing story today is a little bit different because the way Jesus is interacting with the man, it makes it seem as if the man does have a measure of some control. Let's think about uh, what what happened. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading of our gospel from John. Chapter 5, verse 1. May the Holy Spirit open our ears. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem now in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Basava, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, Jesus said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, Sir, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool when the water stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, stand up, take your mat, and walk. And at once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. All right, the context here. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. There is a pool, which actually archaeologists have excavated this pool. Uh, The group that I took to Israel a couple years ago, we actually went to this very site. And Jesus is there, and he sees a man that John says has been stricken with an illness for over 38 years. So this man presumably has been waiting here by this body of water for a very long time. And everybody thinks that this water has the, the power to cure. And so Jesus sees this man And this is so interesting, he comes up to him and Jesus asks him, did you catch the question? He asks him one of the strangest, if not the most insensitive questions you can imagine. He says to him, do you want to be made well? Now I would be sitting there thinking, well of course he wants to be made well. He's been sick for 38 years, he's been lying here for who knows how long. Of course he wants to be made well, what kind of question is that? And yet Jesus asks the question as though he's a little skeptical. He's not quite convinced. Do you really want to be made well? What Jesus is actually doing here, I was thinking this week, is that he is engaged with what some people call a crucial conversation. There's a book you can read right now that's called Crucial Conversations. I have not read this. A lot of businesses are reading this book. You know, crucial conversation is different from all the other conversations we have. When you have a crucial conversation with someone... You, you're trying to get to the truth of things. You're beginning to ask the hard questions. These are the kinds of questions that we don't like to talk about or answer. We kind of want to skirt the issues. Anybody here kind of fear conflict? You'd rather just kind of skirt the issue and sweep it under the, the rug? But to have a crucial conversation means you've got to ask the hard questions. And until you start asking the hard questions, there's usually not any progress. Progress kind of eludes you. I mean, I know you do, do as well. I mean, I know relationships that have fallen apart. I know businesses that have dissolved. There are marriages that have failed because the parties involved refuse to ask the hard questions to get to the truth of things. And so I think that's what Jesus is doing here. He's asking this man the hard questions. Do you want to be made well? I mean, are you sure? You sure you want to be made well? Because uh, if you do, your life's got to change. You can't just lie here anymore. Dependent on the kindness of others or the charity of others, you've got to take responsibility for your own life and for your own actions. Do you really want to be made well? I mean, if the man is healed, think about it, after 38 years, life as he knew it was going to come to a grinding halt. And that is a scary prospect sometimes. Here's a great preacher who said many decades ago that there are times in your life and in my life when we fear the cure more than we fear the illness. There are times in our life when we fear the cure more than we fear the illness. I mean, we don't like the illness, but we've learned to manage it. We've learned kind of how to live with it and to cope with it. Richard Rohr. Uh, Some of you are reading Richard Rohr. He is a Franciscan priest. He writes these devotions. And some of you have been sending me his devotions. But in one of them somewhere, he talks about how uh, that when an intervention happens in a family, maybe someone's addicted to alcohol or drugs and the family does an intervention. He says what the family members underestimate is that they're going to have to undergo treatment too. It's like... They, 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 they disliked the addiction. They didn't like it that the loved one was addicted to whatever the substance might have been. But then once the treatment begins, they realize, wow, we could manage it. <laughs> Life was at least familiar to us. And so then the whole family, as the, as the person's undergoing treatment, they have to learn some new habits. They have to learn some new lifestyle. Everything changes. The relationship with the loved one begins to change at this moment. I mean, do you really want to be healed? Maybe last week, that's the follow-up from last week's service, we had that time of healing. Maybe today Jesus would say to all of us, hey, hey, do do you really want to be made well? I mean, do you really want a new life in God? Or or are you just kind of thinking about it? I want to get very close to the edge, almost to this new life in God, but not quite over there. Do you really want to be made? Well, i got to confess to you, I've I've shared some of this with you before, but uh, there was a time when I kind of delayed my decision to be a Christian, despite my friend of mine who worked with me at the restaurant encouraging me over and over again. One of the reasons I kept putting it off and putting it off, because I knew if I committed, everything in my life was going to have to change. All the habits that I was getting used to, that I could manage, some of them not so good habits. My children are here. I had to be careful. <laughs> the people I was running with, I realized I couldn't run with them anymore. There were sacrifices that I would have to make that I did not have to make before. My whole life was going to change. I mean, <laughs> I knew it was kind of messed up, but I got used to the messed up. I kind of liked the crazy in my life. I managed it. It was at least familiar to me. In his great work, his classic work, The Confessions, some of you had to read this in college, but St. Augustine, in this uh, confessional book of his, is almost like an autobiography, he talks about how there was a time in his life, you know, he lived a wild life, it was a promiscuous life, and that there was a moment in his life when his prayers sounded like this. He would say, Oh, Lord, give me discipline in my life. Oh, Lord, give me holiness and chastity in my life. Just not yet. Not yet, Lord. I, I kind of like the crazy that's going on in my life. Give, give me chastity, but not yet. I mean, how, how long? How, many, how often can we do this? We kind of live a life. We come to church on Sunday morning. We're like, oh, Lord, give me, give me discipline in my life. Give me some holiness in my life. Oh, Lord, give me Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Give me a changed life. Just, just not yet. Not yet. Let me me, me give me some time. I I, I can manage things where where I am right right now. I mean, do do, do you really want to be made well? I mean, so many of us, we want the healing. We just don't want the change. Like, we want the benefits of being made well. Well, that sounds good. We just don't want to to take what happens after that. I mean, do you really want to be made well? well because i'm going to tell you something if you come to jesus and you want him to do something in your life to make you well he's not going to leave you alone there's going to be some new responsibilities you're going to have new priorities in your life you're going to have some sacrifices in your life that you are going to have to make so jesus asked this man the hard question do you want to be made well i'm talking to you lying here for 38 years and did you notice what the man does immediately Jesus asks him this very personal question, and the man's response is a complaint where he blames other people. Well, Lord, I would get in the water, but if some people just keep getting in front of me, they keep bringing me down, they break in front of me. I mean, you see what's going on? Jesus asks him a personal question, and he wants to blame other people for what ails him. That's his immediate response. Oh, my goodness. You know, if there's one thing that the Bible teaches about the human condition, it's that you and I, we are masters of the blame game. We are so good at blaming other people for what ails us and for what's crippled us. I mean, you think about the very first sin recorded in the Bible. Think about that. All right, so God comes to Adam after Adam has eaten the forbidden fruit. And then God says to Adam, What's going on here? And what does Adam say? Well, Eve made me do it. And then he says, Well, it was a serpent. You made the serpent, the serpent made me do it. Or think about Aaron, the high priest, the priest of uh, the the, the Jews when they came out of Exodus. How Aaron, after Moses went away, Aaron gathered all the gold from the people, put it in a big pot, and then melted it all down and made this golden calf. And you know the story when Moses comes back and sees the golden calf, he says to Aaron, what in the world is going on here? And then Aaron's response says, hey, look, all I know is that people put their gold in this pot and out popped this calf. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. Man, we are so good when it comes to the things that are crippling us in our lives. We are so good at passing the blame onto other people. Hey, I know, I know my life is messed up. I know it's messed up, but it's my family. If only I had a better family. If only I had a better relationship with my mother. If only I had a better relationship with my father. If only I had better friends and better influences and and better mentors in my life, that my my life would not be so messed up. It's in in my genes. This is in me. I can't help it. We're always finding ways to blame other things. I mean, people have said to me before, hey, I would be a Christian. Hey, I would would follow Jesus. I like the teachings of Jesus, but it's those hypocrites in the church. See, I, I would do it, but it's them. You following me? You know what? I could, I could, I can list you could too. Dozens of ways the church has botched its witness down through the centuries. Oh, we've not done a good job of screwing things up. But our salvation, my salvation, your salvation, it's not about other people, it's about you. The man wanted to have a conversation about other people, and Jesus is like, hey man, this is not about other people. This is about you. If you want to may, be made well in Jesus, don't won't look to other people. Don't, don't pass the blame on to other people. Jesus wants to talk to you. Now, you know, I, there are things in our lives that have happened to each one of us where you know, th- people have done some things to us. I'm not dismissing that. I'm not discounting that. There are things that all of us have experienced that we never wanted to have happen, but it has happened to us. But I have to tell you, There is one exercise throughout the Bible that God gives each and every one of us every single day to do. You know what that is every day? It is repentance. It is repentance. That is the one thing the Bible promises is available to us every single day, no matter how messed up our life is. I mean, repentance is is to change your life. It is to do something differently. It is to say, today I'm doing a 180. I'm going to set a new course correction in my life. Repentance is God's way of saying that you actually have a measure of control in your life. It's not about what others have done to you or what has happened to you. You are not the victim here. You actually have some authority to go in a different direction in your life. I was thinking about uh, Joseph in the book of Genesis. How many of you know the story of, of Joseph in the book of Genesis? you know that story? All right, where Joseph is sold into slavery by whom? Does anybody remember? By his brothers. His brothers throw him in a pit, sell him all into slavery. Joseph could have spent the rest of his life doing what? I could just blame them. Every misfortune that happened to him, every bad stroke of luck that ever happened, him, he could have said, well, it's my brother's fault. But he refused to do it. He refused to consign who he was going to be in the future to what his brothers did to him. And he was going to trust God enough that God can create a new future where he doesn't seem to be a, a new future on the way. See, repentance is that. None of us in here are completely, 100% the victim of the things that have happened to us. We can't just say, well, if I had a better relationship with my mom or a better relationship with my father, then things would turn out a little bit better. No! No! repentance is God's way is God's gift that you by the grace of God today you can say I'm going in a different direction I'm not going to make any more excuses anymore I'm not going to say well it's their fault people just keep bringing me down today I can make a change that's what God says he makes it available to you He can give you an opportunity to go in a completely new direction. Maybe the world has been pushing you this way. And it looks like you're always going to go this way. Nothing's ever going to change. You're always going to be the victim of the things that have happened to you. But then all of a sudden, you go in the opposite direction. And it doesn't make any sense. That's what repentance is. I mean, you and I, no matter what has happened to you or the people who have done things in your life, you and I can say today, I'm going to live differently. I'm not going to make any more excuses or blame other people for the reasons that I have failed to be the Christian that God has called me to do, to be. And today, I'm going to start in a new direction. We, we have the power to do that. Repentance is God's guarantee that you have it within you to make a change. And you know, the man of the story says, Hey, Lord, you know, if only somebody would have put me in the water and I was thinking about that. <laughs> How often do we just wait for somebody to come along and fix us? We're always waiting for somebody to just kind of walk along, and all of a sudden they're going to have the cure to what ails us. Now we can wait for what? We can wait for, oh, if only I get the right job. Maybe one day I'll get the right girlfriend, the right boyfriend, the right spouse will come into my life, and then I'll get the, the right, right uh Hey, and I'll have the right house and we're always looking for things to fix us I mean the man in the story at least got this part right he says Lord I got nobody else that's right he's got nobody else nobody else you don't have anybody else that can fix you and yet we wait and we wait and we wait for somebody to come along to do what only God can do it's a waste of time Jesus comes to the man and says, do you want to be made well? The man blames other people for his predicament. And then notice what Jesus says. Maybe the man in the story was actually waiting on God to do something, to kind of swoop in and fix him. But notice that Jesus did not say to the man. He didn't say, hey, you be healed. What did Jesus say to the man? He says, stand up. In other words, it's as if the man had it in him the whole time. To stand up on his own, but it took Jesus to summon it out of him. You want a new life in God? You want to be made well by Jesus? You know what Jesus would say? Step up. Step up. Stand up. I mean, if there's one thing that we in the United Methodist Church believe, is that when it comes to our relationship with God... We have a relationship with God that is as deep, that is as alive as we want it to be. Yes, God, we believe that God initiates our relationship with God, but it's up to us. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, taught, but it's up to us. It's up to you to complete this relationship. We're not like other Christian traditions. We don't believe that God is in control of everything, and you have no say in the matter. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, you've got some say in the matter. And when it comes to our relationship with God, my point is, is that we are as close to God as we choose to be. That's what Methodists believe. And if we want a deeper relationship with God, we've got to step up. The letter of James says, draw near to God and He will what? He will draw near to you. In other words, if you take some initiative in your life, draw near to God. Say, today I'm going to take a step towards a new relationship with God, God will draw near to you. We are as close to Jesus as we want to be. Nobody else, nobody else is in charge of your relationship with Christ. The church is not in charge of your relationship with Christ. We're here. We're called to be together. It's good to be together today. But the church is not in charge of your relationship with God. The pastors are not in charge of your relationship with God. You are. You are. You are as close to God as you choose to be. Some of us just want pennies from heaven. That's exactly what we get, pennies from heaven. I do not want just pennies from heaven. I want the fullness of the riches of heaven. I want the fullness of Jesus Christ, but that's up to me. Draw near to God, and he will draw near you to you i mean i think about this man who just wasted house how long did he waste just lying there so close so close but yet so far away and i think about my own life and those years when i was a young man how many, how many years did i just waste waiting for somebody to come along to fix me when the person who could fix me and can make me well was standing there the whole time and that was the lord You are in charge of your relationship with God. Take some initiative. Today, I'm going to say to you, take a step. Don't be content with where you are. Stand up. Today, we have a chance to say no more excuses. I'm not going to blame other people. I'm not going to excuse where I am with God in my life. Today, we can can take a step and we can begin again and be made well. You know, you'll see in front of you, maybe at the, at the, at the uh, before the altar here, some water. What I thought we would do is the musicians come forward and, and we have a chance to sing. You know, I told you last week that a revival, there has to be a response. And you'll notice in front of this water that there are some stones here. And if you feel so led today, you can come up, you can take a stone and I want this stone to be for you, whatever excuse you have been making for not making any progress. And I want you to take this excuse and drown it. The man was at the edge of the waters. Jesus was there to make him well. So I'm going to invite you to come, drown your excuse, and say, yes, Lord, I want to be made well. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Harrison Church now offers text to give a quick and easy way to tithe or donate anytime, anywhere. Text HUMC and your gift amount to 73256. For more information, you can visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.